Thank you, Whitney and Sarah and Evan for blessing the house. In this way, good morning, friends. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service. Welcome to those of you in the room, many more we know who are joining us online. It's good to be together in God's house. My name is James Howell. I'm one of the pastors here. As I look around, some of you are visiting with us. We, we don't know you. You're relatively new here. Thank you so much for coming. You honor us by your presence. Uh, we hope that you'll leave us some kind of contact information. There's an attendance pad on each pew. We have a QR code. You can hand me your phone number, anything. We just want to begin the process of befriending one another. That would be an absolutely uh, lovely thing, so thank you. I am up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Taylor Pride Barefoot. Good morning. It is so good to be in worship with you all today, and we are grateful that we can start this Lenten journey together. Uh, we encourage you to continue to stay plugged in with the church as we can journey on through Lent. Uh, we will have small groups starting this week, so look on the website, the bulletin, for more information regarding those small groups. Let us continue to worship and align our heart with God's.
church, it is good to worship God with our voices. Let us continue on and affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed, which is found in your hymnal on page 881. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Join me now in our prayer of confession, which will be the prayer we pray together during the season of Lent. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past which that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which can be changed, and grant us grace to grow into your likeness through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Church, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Genesis chapter 2, beginning with the 15th verse. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely <clears throat> eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now the, serpent, <clears throat> excuse me. now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open <clears throat> and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Adam and Eve, God's first sorrow, God's first sending. Uh, Lent began on Wednesday. Uh, we had a packed house twice, which I love. I, I think that's a sign of a church family's, I don't know, spiritual maturity. You come for Ash Wednesday. It's not like a dog and pony show that's fun. It's when we began to grapple with uh, the trouble in our hearts and the trouble in the world. Uh, I was pondering on that this week when uh, a friend came to me, and she was pretty distraught. And when she sat down, her first words to me were, James, I am in trouble. My gut reaction was to ask, what did you do? You would have done this if you'd been there. But fortunately, uh, my wiser self kicked in, and I just hushed, and I let her talk. And she told me what her trouble was, and it turned out her trouble was not actually anything that she had done. Her trouble was stuff that has happened in a swirl around her with people around her, all kinds of stuff that's going on. I could chalk most of her trouble up to what are, in fact, the troubles of our culture. The world in which we find ourselves that happened to her, caught up in the vortex of the culture. I love to say to people, be part of something bigger than yourself. I think that's part of the appeal of church. Be part of something bigger than yourself. I needn't say this because you already are part of something bigger than yourself. If you feel anxious, probably nobody at this service. We had a bunch at 945, though people that feel anxious. If you feel anxious, it feels really personal, like what's wrong with me that I am so anxious? But the fact is, we live in a society that is anxious. Anxiety just riddles everybody. It's the air that we breathe. Everything's actually designed to make you anxious. You feel dissatisfied. You think, what's wrong with me that I'm so dissatisfied? I mean, Madison Avenue is working overtime to make every one of us feel very dissatisfied so that we will shop. If you have thoughts of suicide, we live in a world where that's become kind of a common thing and a world that can't think of a good reason to live on. If you self-medicate, uh, there's a book review in the Wall Street Journal this morning. I skimmed it before I came. It's pointing out that the fruit that Adam and Eve ate, we always think it was an apple. Uh, the Bible doesn't specify, it just says they ate a fruit. Through a lot of Christian history, the theologians said it must have been a grape. And the reason for it being a grape, you can imagine, is what people do with grapes. I mean, on the one hand, it's wonderful, and on the other hand, it's caused so much trouble and pain and agony for so many people. If you self-medicate, it feels personal, or someone you love, self-medicates. It feels personal, but we live in a world where it's just, you know, alcohol, but it's kind of, it's the way to have fun, it's the way to deal with a bad day, it's the way to cement relationships, it's just every 
where? It's the air that we breathe. If you don't feel safe, Lisa went out for a walk last night. She'd driven back from Winston to visit her parents. And she wanted to get a little bit of walking in, and when she didn't come home as quickly as I thought, I got very anxious because it's not safe on our streets. A lot of stuff about guns, and people want to politicize the conversation about guns. You see, what we've done there is, is we, we've individualized it. We've said an individual has a right to a gun, but we don't think about that. what's the impact on the larger society that afflicts all of us and none of us feel safe. Whatever it is that comes up, it might be race, it might be another police incident, it might be gridlock in Washington. You know, we love to sit back and say, you know, what's wrong with those people over there? But it's actually, it's us. We all have created the, the, this world. We're all part of it. We're all afflicted by it, even the culture that we applaud. I've told some of you this before. The church has always warned us about the seven deadly sins. You know, the seven deadly sins is pride and greed and sloth and lust and envy and gluttony, all those things. The church has said these will be the undoing of, of your soul, but, but actually this describes the good life in America that everybody is pursuing. And if you get that good life in America, like you think you got it made, but it's actually toxic and it eats away at your soul in ways that you don't even realize. The trouble with our culture, it eats at you like a vulture. If you have abandoned hope or you know someone who has abandoned hope, it feels personal, but it's actually we live in a world that has no hope in it at all. If you have a marriage that is flailing, we live in a culture that is not designed for marriages to be healthy. It is a culture that is designed where if a marriage is healthy, it's kind of an outlier. It's kind of a shock, isn't it? If you have a grown child that doesn't attend church, this happens to me all the time. People say to me, I have a grown child that doesn't go to church. What did I do wrong? And my answer usually is you did not do anything wrong. Your child grew up in a world where church was viewed as kind of optional, is viewed as kind of entertainment. There's always better entertainment somewhere else. Church just isn't a thing. It's not, it's not personal. There it is. Uh, Adam and Eve, uh, what do we make of Adam and Eve? You know, scientists, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy. You know, what would they say about Adam and Eve? They would say one other thing I would say. I think it's just okay. It's, uh, they, these, aren't, these aren't two literal people. There were no people and then suddenly there were two people. Uh, if, if I get to heaven and God says, well, there really were no people, and then suddenly there were two people, I'll say, well, it sure looked different based on all the evidence that we saw. Your salvation doesn't depend on that. The way I read it is that when um, the distant recesses of history, at first these hominids for the first time stood up on two legs. They hadn't done that before, and they began to use tools, and they began to use words to communicate. It was the dawn of humanity, at that point, we know this archaeologically and anthropologically, when hominids first stood up, that they looked up, they bowed their heads, they had a spirituality from the very beginning. They also had a perversity from the very beginning. They could harm one another. They could revolt against God, and this is God's grief. This is God's grief. So those people, uh, send me, uh, they, they quiz me about the church's doctrine of original sin. You know, the idea that Adam and Eve sinned and then it's passed through the generations and everybody, and then you catch it just by virtue of being born. 
We Americans don't like that much at all, and I can only uh, respond to this by saying you should not recoil too much to the idea of original sin. It's just we all do it. Mark Twain famously said, I don't know why Adam and Eve get so much credit. I could have done just as well as they did. Lancelot Duloc. I should have had Evan sing this for us this morning. He shows up at Arthur's round table. He's very cocky. He's going to be such an asset to Arthur. And in his song, he sings, Had I been made the partner of Eve, we'd be in Eden still. A few minutes later, he's in bed with Guinevere, who's Arthur's wife. Like, what was that? And if you were driving and you see a billboard and it says Adam and Eve, they are not inviting you to a Bible study. It's this brokenness, and we all have it, you can't get away. If I say to you, don't be materialistic, you won't make it till 2 o'clock, no matter how good your intentions are. We're just stuck. This is God's sorrow. God's sorrow would culminate in Jesus weeping, in Jesus weeping, in Jesus crying out, and in Jesus sending out his disciples into the world. I mean, I wonder... When, when God sends Adam and Eve out from the Garden of Eden, I guess I grew up thinking God was very angry with them. So God said, you are banished from the Garden. But, but I wonder if that was God's tone of voice. Isn't the God we know heartbroken over people being people? And when God sent them out, God had given them dominion to take care of the Garden. Maybe God was sending them out to, to, to make a difference in God's world. God knew the world out there beyond Eden would certainly need it. See, individual responsibility is a good thing, and we're probably masters of that, and we know how to talk about it. Uh, it it's good. But part of our sin, I think, is that we get so stuck on individual responsibility, we, we, we lose our sense of how to think corporately. How do we think of ourselves not as individuals, but as part of some larger entity that is our society? And part of our sin is not being able to think that way and not understanding that. We don't mind, do we? We don't mind thinking corporately uh, when we're the beneficiaries, right? Uh, we are free as Americans. I, I didn't go in the military and defend our freedom. I didn't win it back in 1776, 84, whatever. Uh, but I'm a beneficiary of that freedom. I sure enjoy it like everybody else does. If the Charlotte economy is doing well and your business goes up, like all boats are rising, like, yeah, you, you didn't do it, but you sure benefit from it. You don't mind. If someone in your family dies and you inherit even a little bit of money or maybe just some of those little treasures that you get, like you don't mind a corporate identity when we're the beneficiaries. Some of you inherited really good genes. I can tell this because I'm looking around and some of you, you're just like so good looking. You inherited. You can't help it. You just are, right? We don't mind when we're the beneficiaries of these things. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said the problem with Adam and Eve is they have a failure to take responsibility. See, what happens is if uh, David had read on in Genesis chapter 3, uh, God comes and says, wait, wait, you ate of the fruit? What was that about? And, he, and uh, you know, Adam says, well, Eve, did, Eve made me do it. And he said, well, the serpent made me do it. How do we take responsibility? How do we do this? How do we think corporately? God asked us to as Christians. Now, a minute ago, I named some things that get politicized easily. If I mention guns, if I mention the police, if I mention anything like that, people back up and they say, talking politics, you can't do that. But 
But the fact is our individual selves are so impacted by the larger picture of what's going on. Now there, Peter's story, I'm reading a great book about him. He was a white pastor, still is, he hasn't died. Uh, in South Africa, he was one of the leaders of the battle against apartheid in Africa. He's a great man, one of my heroes. He's written a book about his life, and I mean, he was fighting apartheid, right? Like, God doesn't like apartheid. You, you should fight stuff like that. But he was criticized uh, early in this campaign. They said, you're too political. You're not spiritual enough. Pastor's supposed to not be political. It's supposed to be spiritual. Here's his response to that. He said, being spiritual is to illuminate everyday reality with the mind of Christ, to allow our humanness to be touched by Christ's divinity. Let me say that again. To be spiritual is to illuminate everyday reality with the mind of Christ, to allow our humanness to be touched by Christ's divinity. Friends, it is the season of Lent, and in Lent God calls us as God's people to pray and to be sent, to pray and to engage in the world. Two stories from the life of Mother Teresa. The first one almost seems too strange to be true, but they've documented this did in fact happen. In 1983, there was a terrible war going on in Lebanon. And Mother Teresa took some of her sisters to Beirut to try to help with the people that were suffering so much. And when she got to the entrance to the city, a guard told her, you, you, you cannot come in. And she said, why? He said, the, the fighting is, is too intense. She said, we, we, we're not afraid. We're willing to take the risk. We want to come in. He said, you may not come in until there is a ceasefire. And she said, when will the ceasefire be? And he said, there's not going to be a ceasefire anytime soon. That's not even being talked about. She said, my sisters and I will pray for a ceasefire. And they prayed through the night, and the next morning, shock of all shocks, a ceasefire was announced in Beirut. Mother Teresa and her sisters went into the city. Second Mother Teresa story. She was uh, part of a conference in Bombay on world hunger. She was one of the keynote speakers, and typically she arrived late. That was her custom. She, just showed up late for everything. And when she showed up late, they'd already started, the doors were closed. She's going up the steps to the venue, and she's about to go in, but then she notices to the side that there's someone over there on the steps. And she goes, and it's a man, he's splayed out on the steps, and he's, he's, in, he's suffering much, and he's desperately hungry. So she never went into the venue. She just tended to that man and found him some food. She was criticized for this. So we're in there talking about world food trends. You needed to be part of that. She said, I know it was just one drop in the ocean, what I did for this one man, but what is the ocean except one drop and another drop and another drop? God asks us to pray and to engage. Don't we pray over the city of Charlotte so that we're not the next Memphis, so we're not the next Minneapolis? I'm always shocked, aren't you, when there's a shooting that happens somewhere and they always interview people and they say, we never thought this would happen here. I just laugh out loud, although it's not funny. Like, why did you think it would not happen where you are? It could happen 
anywhere because that is the culture that we have created. We begin to pray, we begin to act, we begin to engage. We have a new building that we are building. It's going to be a lovely building. We're going to enjoy being in there. But I hope to God that it becomes a place of prayer, not just for the people who gather in there, but we are the ones who pray for the brokenness of God's world and begin even to dare to look for miracles like a cease fire, a radical change, and that we become a blessing to the world through that building. Uh, Adam and Eve, uh, they, they stumble at a tree. There's some wood. Uh, that's their uh, downfall. Jesus knew what to do with a tree, right? He was a carpenter. He built, he built houses. Jesus built, surely, tables. I love that our uh, Builder Sunday School class a few weeks ago, they were building tables to go out to help people in need. It's the consummate Christian symbol. And I, I'll share this with you. When I was pastor up in Davidson, had an associate at the time named Andy, and Andy said, uh, I've invited uh, all these community leaders, the mayor, pastors of other churches, nonprofit, all these people to, to come to, to a meal. And I said, Andy, what's, what's the agenda? He said, now you'll find out when you come, which made me exceedingly nervous. Uh, but I came, and we sat down, and Andy welcomed everyone and had a prayer. And then he looked around that table, and he said, um, what I want us to do here is to see if uh, we could get rid of poverty in the town of Davidson. Now, people around the table laughed, but then in the silence, they started looking around at who was at that table, and they started to think, we could do this. We could do this. We come to our Lord's table today. There's irony is called the medicine of immortality, right? We come for healing. We come for hope. But we also come to sit around the table and say, what could we do if we put our minds to it? <clears throat> if we put our minds to it. And there are three days left in Black History Month, so it's always worth mentioning Martin Luther King's dream. It wasn't his dream. It was God's dream. It's our dream. It's the dream of all humanity since those first hominids have stood up on two legs. The dream is the little black boys and girls and little white boys and girls will sit together at the table of brotherhood. Friends, God's heart is so broken, not just by our individual dumbness, but God's heart is broken by what goes on in our society and the culture. And God wants us to grieve, and God wants us to pray, and God invites us to engage and really ponder what could we really do. Thanks be to God. Let us prepare our hearts for prayer. O oh God, our Creator, your love is as fresh as the new day, rising like the sun to greet and to guide us. In Jesus Christ, you walk with us to challenge and encourage us, revealing our weakness yet offering us grace, hope, and forgiveness. 
in this time of worship today, empower us to be open to the new possibilities you create for the world you love. Lord, in your mercy, God of all life and each life, we offer you thanks for all the ways we meet you in our daily lives. In words of encouragement, an insight into deeper truth, or simply an opportunity to serve you. We thank you for a breath of calm in the midst of stressful times when we need such. We thank you for a sense of accomplishment that our work really makes a difference. We thank you for your love that renews us. Lord, in your mercy. O oh God of gratitude, your love reminds us of the needs in the world. So in times of silence, we pray for people and places of suffering in the news this week. For leaders facing difficult decisions in a complex world. For your church and congregations facing new challenges and opportunities. For ourselves, our family, friends, and neighbors, especially those among us who are sick, hungry, or who are grieving. Today, we especially remember the family of Carl Walker in their time of grief and loss. Lord, in your mercy, thank you for your grace that embraces all for whom we pray, O oh God. In this week ahead, may we notice your hands at work in our lives and in our troubled world. We offer our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It is your tithes and offerings that make the mission of this church possible in advance of your giving and your generosity. On behalf of the lives that you'll touch today, thank you.
God, we offer our gifts in thanksgiving for all the goodness you provide. Bless these gifts in our lives so that we become a source of goodness for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our strength and our hope, we pray. Amen. we want to be like Jesus. In this moment, God invites us to be Jesus, to be the hands and feet, compassionate presence of Christ in the world. Uh, I do believe that when we hear the troubles of the world, when you see the news, when you see cries, I think that's the world saying to us, give me Jesus. That's how we began the service. That's what the world is hungry for. Friends, we come to our Lord's table, all are welcome, and as I say, all are welcome, that's true. There's a question tucked inside there always for us, is to say, who might not feel welcome here, and what might we do with that? We all are welcome. We will begin with uh, the prayers of consecration, the congregational responses. Uh, you can find them on page 17. If you don't know them, the choir, Evan, will lead us in those sung responses. Uh, after the uh, servers receive, they'll invite you to come forward. You can receive standing at one of two stations. Somebody will hand you a piece of bread, dip it gently into the cup, return to your seat by way of the outside aisle. You can receive kneeling. Uh, we also have gluten-free, COVID-friendly packets, if that would be your preference uh, as well. And I recognize, friend, th this takes some time. And I preached longer than I intended, so we may run past 12 if you need to go home you need to go home. But if you can stay, I suspect that a little time in God's house might actually serve you and our world well. So friends, let us join together in the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. And mine, heaven and earth, Hosanna.
are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after giving you thanks, he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, take, for, and take from this all of you and eat. This is my body broken for you. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this all of you. For this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts of Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living, sac a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. confidence of the children of God, let us pray as our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
Friends, let us join together now in the prayer after communion, which you will find printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.
friends, they told me they were going to hand me a board. I pictured a small board. This is a large board. This is one of many boards that will go into one of our habitat houses. If you don't know this, we are building a neighborhood of 39 homes near the airport. This isn't a drop in the ocean. This is a big splash. Uh, you can be a part of this. Uh, a lot of these boards are in uh, the lobby of our parish life building. Uh, we're praying over these. You can write messages on them. You can sign your name. You can write a Bible verse. Other messages, uh, you, you should not write, go Carolina, but um, <laughs> other messages are welcome. Uh, we have sign-ups for Habitat work days. Some of you are going to think, that's eh, not my thing. We take money, you know. We're raising money for our Hope is Here campaign. This is a big deal. We're building a whole neighborhood, folks. I'm so proud. It's so exciting. We're being the hands and feet of Christ in the world by doing so. I would also mention a, a few folks in the back uh, knew what I didn't know is that uh, someone had a, an episode and we called a medic. We will want to... Uh, pray for that person. I believe they're still uh, on the grounds here. Uh, so be attentive to that on your way out. Friends, now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore.